0: Hey ladies and gentlemen, this is David Benjamin, your host of the Healthy, Wild, and Free podcast. Today we have two actually amazing guests on the podcast and usually on my podcast I can only get one guest from the book to be on the show, but today we have a husband and wife team, a super team actually, because uh, they're uh, doing some amazing things, uh, getting a lot of exposure and really just doing some amazing work within the health field as a whole. Uh, Today we have on the show Mira and Jason Colton. They're the authors of Rich Food, Poor Food, uh, which is a book I highly recommend. It's a great buying guide if you are looking to eat healthier and live a healthier lifestyle. The Collins are among the world's leading experts on the topics of weight management, lifestyle medicine, and micronutrient deficiency. Their high success rate working with adults and children to achieve sustainable weight loss and reverse health and disease conditions has made their consultancy highly sought after by celebrities, athletes, and top corporate executives around the world. It is their belief that becoming micronutrient-sufficient is the first step towards preventing and reversing many of today's most prevalent health conditions and diseases. And like I said, they're both absolutely incredible. Their their bios are truly <laughs> amazing. So I'm going to put all of that on my website so you can see the amazing work that they've done and the people they've worked with and and just so, so much value. So uh, thank you both for being on the show. How are you doing today?
1: Oh, uh, so good. Thank you so much for having us, David.
0: Glad you could both be here. Um, I want to start the interview off and ask you, uh, I, ask you both, how did you get started in the world of kind of health and nutrition? What sparked that passion and interest?
1: Well, for me, it was um, not on purpose. Actually, I was never actually looking to get into the world of nutrition. I was a publicist. I was living in New York City and I was in my late 20s and I, you know, I did film premieres and and fashion openings and stuff like that. It was really, you know, it was very exciting and I was like all 20-something-year-olds thinking, you know, my body is is amazing and I'm super strong and nothing's ever going to hurt me and then I started just getting tired and my back started aching and my bones started aching. And I was like, okay, you know, it's just you've got to stop going out so late. You got to do, you know, a little bit less and just relax a little bit more and just probably just stress. Maybe it's your shoes are uncomfortable and you shouldn't wear heels anymore. And I just got, started going on and on and it wasn't getting any better. So actually on my 30th birthday, uh, I was actually bedridden. I was lying on my sofa, doing all of my work from there, making excuses why I couldn't see customers and clients anymore. And um, I had to go to the doctor because it wasn't, I was not getting any better no matter how much I rested and got off, I got out of my shoes. And um, I went to see the doctor and he diagnosed me with advanced osteoporosis. So I had the bone density of an 80 year old woman when I turned 30. Wow. And they said it's not going to get any better. You're going to be, have people taking care of you for the rest of your life. And here's a list of the drugs that we want to put you on. And um, then I went home and I was absolutely just devastated. I was like, what, what do you mean this is going to be it for me? Um, and I started doing some research about the drugs. And that was really scary. I mean, literally that one of them wasn't going to make it so I would never get pregnant if I had decided at 30 maybe I would still want kids in my future. Uh, there's all these massive side effects. And um, it, it just didn't look very good. So I was like, I'm not going to do any of this stuff. But I did have to sell my company, and I had to leave town, and I had to start you know really reassessing my life and I started with the only other thing that they had told me, which was take some calcium that's really the only other thing they, the doctor told me, and I looked at started you know the only thing I could do was do research on the internet, so I started typing in calcium, and calcium led me to learn about magnesium, and magnesium led me to learn about vitamin D and I was like, "Wow, there's a lot to these things that I didn't know anything about." <laughs> And I was like, I need help. I don't know really where to turn. I'm not getting very far in my in my, um, in my my research. So I went and actually I found a doctor of nutrition who was willing to do some research with me. And he'd already been working for over a decade with other clients, but more about the diet and, and you know, losing weight and that type of stuff. But when we started to look at it, I was like, okay, well, it really comes down to these other things. And these are the micronutrients. These are those vitamins and minerals that I was just talking about, calcium, magnesium, D, K. And we started to work on a program to start to make my body sufficient in these very same micronutrients. Two years later, I'll make it real short, two years later, we went to see the doctor again and I took a DEXA scan, which is how they retested my bones. And I didn't even have osteoporosis anymore. So we completely reversed it in only two years. And that's why I am so absolutely passionate about the topic of micronutrients because they helped me, they reversed my disease, and we've now done that with tons of other clients. And the cool thing is, I actually ended up marrying my doctor, um, so that's Jason.
0: <laughs> oh wow!
1: Yeah, pretty Amazing. It worked out really well for me. <laughs>
0: that's like a two for one.
1: Exactly, it was a bargain basement deal. No, <laughs> it was great. I mean, and and then now, obviously, we both are completely passionate about this topic because it's been the base of our research, you know, for six for six, to eight, almost ten years now. Because we've been doing this a while.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. So. just so, Jason, you started in, in the allopathy world, I think, then?
2: Yeah, I did. Um, well, I've always known I was going to be in nutrition. I, I, I think I kind of got sidetracked a little bit. So I did my first diet. I came up with my first diet when I was six years old, um, which is kind of a funny <laughs> story. He was a funny, weird
1: child. <laughs> funny
2: story. Yeah. I don't know why. I've always just been fascinated with nutrition. And one year, I, 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 I kind of remember this, I don't know, just very vividly. My parents gave me a book called, back at that time, I think it was a popular book called Fitter Fat. I don't even know if it's still around. Anyway, the idea, the premise behind that book was, because I was always talking about nutrition, so they said, well, you know, you should read up on it. So I read through the book and I came out with the basic conclusion that is still pretty much the conclusion of nutrition even still today, although wrongly so, it is that, you know, it's a calorie in, calorie out game. So if you want to lose weight, it said then basically you eat less calories and burn more calories, right? That's what that's what the book said. So, and I, I wasn't a, a chubby child or anything, but I wanted to put this to the test, and I thought, you know, wow, I'll I'll try it out. So I went and I found some sugar free. <laughs> were, were you still six years old at the time? I'm six years so he old. Was okay. really strange, his mom tells this story. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just I was fascinated. I'll tell you, I was fascinated with the manipulation of the human body because right. at the time my uncle was a spitting image of of um. What's the guy's name? Um, I don't know what I'm no, um, no I'm Hulk right Hogan. Out. Hulk Hogan. Oh wow! So and he looked just like Hulk Hogan. And I was like, "How did you get that way?" He told me, well, "I take, I, I eat the right food and I exercise." And so I suppose that's what kind of spurred me. Out, like, how did he manipulate himself like that? And so I was interested with food manipulation. So I did this diet with this sugar-free Jello for about. I, I think I made it through about a day and a half. And I learned probably one of the most important lessons in nutrition: that calories equal energy. <laughs> meaning that after about a day and a half, I didn't have any more energy. Now I, might, I don't know if I lost any weight or not, but I certainly realized that calories equal energy, and from there, it was just a love affair for me. I did for a while, I studied uh, m- microbiology uh, and um, that kind of thing uh, in college, and I did go for pre-med, um, and I did think I wanted to be you know an allopathic doctor, uh, but. That, that changed quickly after I worked a little bit in the field in an orthopedic surgery uh, setting, I decided no I wanted to I wanted to go into nutrition full time so that's where that's what I did and I worked with like I said uh, Mira said about a ten years before I met Mira uh, with clients and I was doing what a lot of nutritionists do. I worked on the vit- you know the the carbohydrates, the fats, and the proteins. those are the basic three things that most people talk about in nutrition but i 'll tell everybody listening right now that those they're important, but they're just such a small fraction of what's really important with nutrition. And I'm so happy that we're starting to see a change today, really focusing on the micronutrients, which is what we're talking about, those vitamins, minerals, and essential fats, and food quality. I mean, this is something that we're seeing more and more, you know, today. Um... In, in, in just you know modern nutritional practices, we're realizing that GMOs play a difference, that hormones play a difference, that pesticides play a difference, and they're kind of all lumped in with nutrition. And when you start to look at that, the micronutrients and the food quality, the importance of you know how you manipulate your carbs, fats, and proteins really are quite small when you look at the big picture. And yet that's that's what most people focus on. So um, yeah, we got really fascinated with them once I saw how powerful they were, and we wrote. A couple books on it and we're going to talk about those today
0: awesome awesome and and to end that story I'm assuming you became the fittest six-year-old in the world or something along those lines <laughs> I think I w- I'm fittest seven-year-old for- <laughs> okay it took a year <laughs> <laughs> time timing actually that, that does make sense <laughs> so I, I love the, the title of the book uh, rich rich food poor food it reminds me of the book uh, rich dad poor dad which is one of my favorite books actually Uh, But it's about health and wellness, which is more valuable than than wealth because really health is the ultimate uh, form of wealth. If you don't have that, you don't have anything. Uh, So what does that that mean? I mean, just the title in and of itself, rich food, poor food, how would you describe that to someone walking down the street?
1: Well, rich food, poor food is what we call the ultimate grocery purchasing system or a GPS. And what we wanted to do is we wanted it to navigate the aisles of the grocery store, every single aisle from the ones that you think are healthy to the ones that you used to think are unhealthy. So dairy all the way through to desserts. And what we wanted to do is point out the rich foods and make sure that you get away from the poor foods. Now, we, in the book, we don't talk about rich foods as being rich or expensive, and we don't talk about rich foods as being rich because they have a lot of calories. In fact, we talk about not ever looking at that part of the label. So we actually tell you to go away from the um, nutrition facts. Don't look at the carbs, fats, and proteins. Instead, we grade the rich foods on being natural, unprocessed, or minimally processed foods that are high in micronutrient content to help increase your micronutrient sufficiency levels, and we want them to be low or void of problematic ingredients that could put your health at risk. So those are those dangerous things that we are talking about, like we consider sugar, uh, pesticides. You know, GMOs, GMOs all, those, all that kind of stuff, plus the azodicarbonamide, plus all these other unsavory things that they tend to be sticking in these days. And poor foods then are just the opposite. Poor foods are things that are low or devoid of micronutrient content, highly processed usually. And they usually have a lot of um, negative or d- potentially dangerous ingredients in them. So that's how we define it. And we really make a point of, unlike Eat This, Not That, which is telling you that things have too many calories or they're too high in fat, we said it doesn't matter what kind of a diet program you're following. You could be vegan. You could be low carb. You could be paleo. You could be low fat. You can be whatever you want to be as a nutritional, as a dietary philosophy. It doesn't matter what kind of a diet program you're on. There's one truth. You need to find the foods that are the healthiest, most dense in micronutrients, and most And eliminate most of the dangers, and so it's really a a dietary guide to the grocery store for every single person, regardless of their you know philosophy.
0: Very cool. So in your book, you talk about the difference between macronutrients and micronutrients. What's the difference between macro and
2: micronutrients? Okay, so let's talk about that. So food has two sides to it, two basic components. There's the macronutrients, which are the caloric parts of the food—the carbs, fats, and proteins—that we talk about. You know, like I said, that which most people spend most of their time talking about. And then the food has another side to it, and those are the micronutrients. Those are the uncaloric side, the, the what you need in micro or small quantities, and those are typically categorized as vitamins, minerals, essential fatty acids, and amino acids. So they're kind of the building blocks. They're the stuff in the food that makes it healthy. So that's the, the basic kind of differentiation there. And of course, you want your foods to have enough calories to give you the energy that you need in order to do the things you want to do all day. And you need the food to have enough micronutrients so that those micronutrients can build your bones and your muscle tissues and run your metabolism and do all those things. The problem... Uh, and the reason why we named our first book, Naked Calories, and what's going on as an epidemic really around the world today is that we're we're creating foods that have a high macronutrient or caloric value, but they are very low in the micronutrients. Because the reason for that is for several things. First of all, our soil is depleted. We're shipping stuff from, you know, across the country, sometimes across the continents, right? Right. Um, we're also starting to see that we're, we're we're feeding our animals like our cows and our chickens and our pigs an unnatural diet and we're keeping them in an unnatural environment. So instead of being out grazing on the on the grass and in the sunshine getting all those micronutrients that they should be, they're being kept inside places in the dark, the sunlight isn't the same, they're not being fed grass, they're being fed genetically modified corn and soy. And so The food itself is becoming devoid of those essential micronutrients, and that's a big problem. So there's plenty of food, there's plenty of calories out there, but they're naked calories. They don't have enough of those vital micronutrients.
1: And you know it's not like that. You travel, David, and and it's like when you go to other places, food tastes different because it actually has flavor. I mean, your meat is supposed to taste like meat. And when people say, like, that cow tastes very beefy or very barny, well, it's a cow. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, it's not going to taste like, you know, like the, the food here in the U.S. We've, we've taken all of that out of our food system, and that's why the food doesn't really have your eggs. The eggs should be really, really rich orange to show you it's got enough beta carotene, and when you go to other countries, they're still like that. Mm-hmm. But because the way that we're doing it here in America, we're getting these really bland, really deficient foods.
0: Very true. And it's funny you say that too because just this year I lived in Costa Rica for a few months and when I lived there I would go to the local farmer's market and everything was organic and the celery there, getting back to the states and comparing just the celery, the celery there was very green, it still had all the leaves on it, the leaves were bitter and the leaves have like five times the amount of minerals as the stalks so I was eating those like crazy and i get back here and the celery is white there's no leaves and it's like i'm eating cellulose and water i'm just chewing i'm like what am i eating like and it's organic too that's i'm eating organic in both places but it's just a completely different it, food
1: well costa rica you got the soil there man i mean that's yeah. got some of the most rich soil in the world is there in that Nosara area in the Guanacaste. We
0: love, so. Costa Rica. Yeah, yeah, I live, I live in Guanacaste, okay. and it's one yeah. of the, it's one of the top, uh, rain. It's one of the areas in the world that has the most rain as well.
1: Yeah, Panama it's,
0: and Costa Rica,
1: lush, green, and gorgeous.
0: Yeah, so that that's just one example, and then obviously, like you said, the eggs as well. I noticed that as well, and then. Uh, uh, tomatoes, I mean tomatoes taste completely different, the bananas taste completely different.
1: Absolutely, um, and it, it really is just the fact that we're growing things in soil that is so over farmed mm-hmm. that it just can't even supply the micronutrients, and then we're spraying them with pesticides, and these pesticides actually just take even more of the micronutrients out, I mean that's how it kills the weeds around the food it literally starves the weeds of the micronutrients so the weeds can't grow, but the problem is it's also starving us because it's starving them, it's starving our food. Now, the food can't deliver us the same amount of
0: micronutrients
1: anymore. So we're just, you know, we're doing it to ourselves. It's modernization, and, you know, it's got a big cost. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. So with with macronutrients and micronutrients, I I totally agree micronutrients make much more sense to look at the nutritional value, uh, the actual kind of net value of the food you're eating. But with the macronutrients, Obviously, that plays a role to some degree. Do you just kind of ignore that, or do you just take a different approach to that?
2: Well, the way, what we've done is we've come up with something called the NutriVore system. So our, because we think we're people were kind of putting the cart before the horse with looking at the macronutrients before the micronutrients, this is the way we describe it. Whatever dietary philosophy that you want to adhere to at this time in your life, make sure it's micronutrient sufficient. So put that First, make sure that you're getting enough of those essential micronutrients. After that, you can come up with any kind of dietary philosophy you want. I've seen every dietary philosophy, you know, with the exception of some maybe some radical ones, you know, all equate to or close to optimal health. So you can get to optimal health from many different pathways. And certainly many cultures, I mean, we've we've traveled to 134 countries around the world on all seven continents for six years living with these remote tribes, and each one had a different way, a different dietary philosophy, different foods were available to them, different climates, and, you know, all, everything. So you can get there multitude of different ways, but the one common denominator, like Mira said earlier, the one, you know, you know real truth in nutrition is that if you're deficient in those micronutrients, you will never achieve optimal health. It is impossible to be deficient in something that is essential, and be, have optimal health. So once we understand that, then the rest of it's just where you want your calories from. Yeah, there's a lot of great manipulations that you can do through manipulating your fats or your carbohydrates or your proteins in one way or another, and that's a lot of fun. But it's kind of iced is the icing on the cake. You got to bake the cake first.
1: Yeah, we do. We, the one thing that we we do always tell people is, um, you know, your body needs a fuel source, so you have to you're going to give it one. It's going to be the form of the calories, like Jason was saying. And you have a choice. You can give it a lot of fat because fat is, you know, really high in calories for a very small amount of food. Or you can give it a lot of carbohydrates to run on. Both work, but please don't put them all together. Uh, Unfortunately, we're seeing a lot of people these days starting programs where they think just adding fat is going to be good to their high-carb program or some, you know, Adding more nuts and seeds to a recipe, and then putting in on top of it, you know, sure. molasses, and you know, you're basically just making a big caloric mud puddle. Mm. Uh, so we don't really like that, unfortunately. We do see a lot of things like that. You know, bacon is great, bacon with honey on top, not so great. Um,
0: gotcha.
1: so, <laughs> so that's just one. America. Thing. I'll just say
0: one thing, America. <laughs> yeah,
1: I mean, it's just one of those things that we're seeing a lot in these recipe books. There's a lot of treats being made. And, you know, it's fine, but it just doesn't work that way in nature. You don't get high-fat foods that also are high in sugars.
0: Right. So It's so, not natural. So food combining, basically, is, is that kind of basically along those lines is what you're describing?
2: Well, we don't want it so much food combined. We want you to look at nature and mimic it. So right. like Mira said, so if you're going to eat a fruit, what did nature do? Did, did, did nature put fat in fruit? Or did it put sugar in fruit? You know, when you look at a fatty food, when you look at something that's higher in fat, did it, you know, let's take nuts, for example. Do they put a lot of carbs in there, too? Or did they pretty much, you know, is it mostly fat with a little bit of carbs? So that's the teeter-totter of life. If you're going to increase your fat, you've got to lower your your carbohydrates. That's what nature did. That's one of the things, that's one of the big lessons that we learned, again, as we traveled around looking for what were the key points to optimal nutrition, it's always when the fat goes up, the carbs go down, vice versa, and they never come together. High, you don't have a high fat, high carbohydrate diet anywhere in the world that yeah. I can think of.
1: Yeah, when we, when we we literally went to 135 different countries around the world, studying the different dietary habits of different tribes all around the world for seven years straight, and we never saw anybody who was living a high carb, high fat diet. Mm-hmm. So,
0: yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. And, and unfortunately, uh, pigs don't come slathered in honey. <laughs> um, sorry, America. <laughs> exactly. Um, so it's, it's really it's kind of it's if you if you do combine food if you are combining foods, combining them in a way that mimics nature or mimics whole foods in nature at least. Yep. Yeah.
1: Yep. Absolutely.
0: Gotcha. Awesome. So okay, so micronutrients. So this is very fascinating. Let's let's dive a little bit deeper deeper okay. into micronutrients. Uh, what are some examples of of micronutrients? And I know we kind of brushed over, uh, you know, essential fatty acids, amino acids, and things like that. But what specific micronutrients are kind of pain points that uh, Americans are uh, typically very deficient in that we don't know about?
1: Well, here's the shocking factor. All of them uh, is the answer. We as Americans are pretty much, I think, almost 95% deficient across the board, according to the USDA, in our our vitamins and minerals. Um, That is really scary because most people don't even realize it. Most people are doing nothing about it. And um, that's why we get illness and disease because depending on which combination of micronutrients you become deficient in, it depends on what kind of a condition you get. So, for example, osteoporosis. For me, calcium, vitamin D, vitamin K, boron, magnesium, those things put together, when those become deficient, you get osteoporosis if you're deficient in your calcium, magnesium, and potassium, you're going to get high blood pressure. So it's really interesting how they kind of work together to either create health or destroy health. Um, magnesium is a huge one. People are, it's really popular to talk about these days because we have a really high magnesium deficiency rate here in the U.S., and it has responsible for something like 300 different functions in your body. Um, it's another reason why people aren't sleeping well and we're having a, a you know, an epidemic of that as well right now and not a lot of that is magnesium deficiency vitamin D deficiency is huge as well uh, because you basically have to be out in the sunshine in order to be getting enough naturally and not just any time like year-round doesn't work because north of Atlanta you can't even get enough during most of the year and that's a lot of people living north of Atlanta right now mm-hmm. um, so that's another one and people who are vitamin D deficient just for an example are on average 17 pounds heavier so that's a big that's a big thing. Just seventeen pounds heavier on average just for being deficient in one micronutrient. Yeah. So you can imagine how this affects just so many
2: different parts of your life. Yeah, David, I think a lot of people listening right now may be shocked to realize that we only discovered vitamins a hundred years ago. I mean, think about that. This is this is, this is a new. brand <laughs> new science. This is we know right. we almost know nothing about vitamins and micronutrients in general. And but way back in 1912, there were two guys, Funk and Hopkins, who wrote what was called then the Vitamin Hypothesis of Disease, and they basically stated that uh, diseases are caused by the dietary lack of specific vitamins, and that's why today we call micronutrients and specifically certain vitamins and minerals essential vitamins and minerals because we learned that if you are deficient in them, you get diseases. I mean, some that are well-known diseases are things like rickets and scurvy and beriberi. And, and which course,
1: we which we thought we were getting rid of around the world. But now, of course, vitamin D has become so deficient that in northern Europe, they're getting rickets again.
2: Yeah. And so what we did in, in our first book, uh, Naked Calories, is we created what we call the micronutrient sufficiency hypothesis of health. And this is I think this is what we need today because so many people, they turn to nutrition and say, okay, okay, how can I get healthier? What do I eat? You know, what do I eat? And, 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 and what is the key to becoming healthy and, and creating optimal health? And so we boiled it down to this micronutrient sufficiency hypothesis of health, which just basically states that if a condition or disease can be directly linked to a micronutrient deficiency, then it can be prevented and or reversed through sustained sufficiency of the deficient micronutrient or micronutrients. Now, it doesn't sound real complicated, and it really isn't complicated. But when you, what I don't think people listening understand is that every single one of these health conditions and lifestyle diseases that are plaguing us today have their roots in deficiencies. And this is not just us saying this, or other kind of you know off the cuff nutritionists. This is the base. This is just medical science and nutritional science in general. It, and it, 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 like Mira said, you, if you're there's no way you're going to get osteoporosis if you're not deficient in that in those groupings of of, of vitamins and minerals that Mira just went over. To build bone. It doesn't work like well if I'm I'm deficient in those same micronutrients Mira was, but guess what I got? I got a headache. Well, that doesn't work like that. You get osteoporosis. It's, it's very specific. You know, um, if you're not defic- if you're not sufficient in you know folic acid, there's going to be a, a very high likelihood, and you're pregnant that you're going your child can get spina bifida. There's specific disease conditions associated with specific deficiencies. And once we understand that, then 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 nutrition, you know, taught any other way, but become sufficient in your micronutrients first is really just kind of ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a a balancing game is what it is, really.
1: Absolutely. And and for people to not want to be sufficient or not put this as a big priority is kind of ridiculous in in our perspective because we're looking and going, it's an if-then statement. If you don't get this, you will get that. And Mm -hmm. who the heck wants that? I mean, none of those diseases are fun. So if you just stay sufficient, then you don't have to do that. And diet is one of the worst things. These diets that people go on where they restrict the types of foods they're eating. Now, you know, we're not against gluten-free diets. In fact, we're gluten-free. But if you're going to go gluten-free, you better realize that there's certain groups of vitamins that you're probably going to become deficient in. In fact, studies show that you, I think it's like 75% of people who are um, gluten-free dieters are deficient in their B12. So you you better realize you better be getting that someplace else. It um, says the same B12 also is for vegans. Uh, Low-carb dieters um, have different ones. Low-fat dieters usually omega-3s. So it's just whenever you limit yourself because you're going on a dietary program, you better become sufficient in what you know that you're going to be taking out of your diet because if not, you can get rid of that pant size. You can fit in that dress you always want to get into. You're going to look great at the beach in that bikini. But, you know, you might end up with osteoporosis. You could end up with something else, and it's just not worth it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point, the, the whole uh, category diet manipulation, if you will. Uh, I want to talk about that a bit more. But first, I want to talk a bit more about uh, vitamin D, and I'm glad you brought that up. I live in Michigan. Obviously, a lot of people live north of Atlanta. Uh, so for, for those that live north of Atlanta, what other ways are there to get vitamin D
2: beyond sunshine? Well, supplementing. That's really it. Um, that's why you know, vitamin D supplementation is so big right now. Um, and that's one of the reasons why in, in nutrients, which is the multivitamin that we created in order to help mirror to reverse her osteoporosis, but we did bring it to market later on, we include 2,000 IUs of vitamin D, just because I think that that's really the minimum that people should be getting. Um, one thing that people want to realize is there's two types of vitamin D. There's vitamin D2, which is basically non-effective uh, at at, at, at Providing what you need as far as vitamin D is concerned, and you have vitamin D three, which is an animal source um, vitamin D, and you need to have that for- that form. I mean, you can of course get it from your sunlight, but like you said, if you're above Atlanta in the winter months, you can't get it that way. So you got to supplement with it, and you, see, and you definitely want that vitamin D three. Now we use a vitamin D three that comes from the lanolin of sheep's wool, so you don't you know you don't kill animals to get it, but you do. It does. It is on the hair. It's kind of a fatty substance that you derive from the wool of the of the lamb or uh, of the sheep another,
1: so another interesting fact is that uh, a lot of times people don't think like they're getting they're gonna have a baby or whatever but the levels of vitamin d in a mother's body while she's pregnant more matters more than all the vitamin d you're gonna give that child for the first nine years of life wow so that's like that just shows you like how important these things are especially during pregnancy um, Just to make sure that you're getting enough, because you're delivering everything to that child. So, and how they progress is based on if you are deficient, basically, you know, they're going to have health problems because of it.
2: Yeah, a lot of people don't think about vitamin D as being a real bone builder, and it doesn't really build bone, although what it does is it, if you're sufficient in your vitamin D, it allows your body to absorb calcium better. So that's a synergy. So you, when we talk about these, these micronutrients, not only is it kind of complicated in that there's so many of them, but then they they react with each other differently. Some some of them compete with each other, and some of them help each other to, to help with absorption and utilization. And that's one of those things. Vitamin D, you want enough of it so that your body can absorb enough calcium so you don't get osteoporosis. So there, there's just so much information about each and every one, but each one is as important as the next one. So there isn't one of these essential micronutrients that you're like, well, that's kind of lower on the list of importance. They're mm-hmm. all equally important, and they all work together kind of as an orchestra.
1: And there's ways to make sure that you're not getting rid of your vitamin D. Like, for instance, Eating grains or eating things that have phytic acid in them actually makes you, it accelerates the metabolism of vitamin D, so it actually burns through your vitamin D even faster. So that's just another reason to make sure that you aren't getting a lot of things that have a lot of phytic acid in them.
0: Is the vitamin D actually utilized more effectively because it's being metabolized, or is it just
2: being kind of wasted then? Wasted. It's being utilized, right? So it's, it's, it's doing its job, but at a faster pace. Okay.
1: It's not leaving the vitamin D to do anything else in your body that it also might want to do.
0: <laughs> right. Okay. Gotcha. Interesting. So, the, the very fascinating stuff. Uh, let's talk a bit about the the kind of categories of food, like uh, like we touched on a bit already. Uh, you know, fats, uh, carbs, proteins. In in terms of the kind of categories of foods which category do you feel is most micronutrient-rich and, and which are we kind of avoiding the most that we should be partaking in more often?
1: I don't think there's one that's better for you than any of the others. I mean, in terms of amino, your proteins, you know, you're know, you going to get your amino acids. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's, those are obviously essential as well. Um, in terms of fats, there's good fats and bad fats. So I guess we'd have to clarify between the good and the bad. We don't want the seed oil, genetically modified corn, you know, canola, soybean oil. We want to make sure we're getting enough omega-3. Obviously, we don't really have to worry about taking in more omega-6 because our diets here in the Western world are so filled with omega-6 that omega-6 is an inflammatory, um, inflammation-causing fat, essential fatty acid. So we actually want more omega-3 to bring that down. Um, or eat
2: less omega six in general,
1: right? Which we all tried it, which we should try to do. Um, so those are necessary as well. Uh, we like coconut oil as an oil base very much because it has you know all of the great lauric acid and the uh, different benefits of that being uh, antifungal, antibacterial, antiviral. Um, so we really enjoy that. In terms of carbohydrates, you know, there's some that we don't believe are necessary. We're not big into the starchy carbs, unless you're trying to gain weight. But then again, we've lived with societies in Peru where they eat corn all day long, <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
1: and um, in, in you know in Costa Rica, and they're making the um, tortillas.
2: Yeah, we live so. at, a, at a kind of a strange time in human history where you know we would have a conversation like this: like, what do you think would be good as far as a carbohydrate, or fat, and protein? No other tribes or remote peoples wonder about what they should be eating. They eat what what the earth provides them, and so they and they have a connection with food. And the very fact that we're saying, well, we want to follow a dietary philosophy that restricts that and increases this, and what you know, it just kind of shows what we don't understand. Um, it's you know, it's it's a strange thing to be kind of picking and choosing. There's good and bad in all of it. Yeah,
1: I think we would probably say whatever is closest to the way it was created is good. In all of those categories. So you don't want a highly processed oil. You want a natural oil. You don't want a highly processed grain. You want, I guess, if you're going to have a natural grain, you want the corn, say, for example, in your tortilla to be from a non-GMO corn that was grown naturally. And then also, you want to make sure that the people preparing it understand that there are ways to produce foods to get rid of the nutrients. And primitive cultures always understood that. They got rid of the anti-nutrients by adding lime to the corn, by uh, soaking the grains, uh, and the nuts and the seeds and letting things sprout. I mean, people used to just like, you know, pick things and let them go in the field kind of wet and damp until they sprouted and then they'd start using the using the grains. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's more, it's not really that there's anything that's better or worse in terms of those three categories. It's just making sure that you're choosing the sources of the most micronutrient rich so that are the least processed where they didn't add anything bad into them.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting too because, uh, and this is, kind of more of a philosophical question, but, uh, you know, living in America and having so many options, I mean, I, I shop at, like, three health food stores, you know, the farmer's market and, um, and online, so there's, like, five more, ten more places, like, every month, and uh, it's, there's so many options to, to get nutrition and, and micronutrients from not only foods locally, you know, within my geographical area, but all around the world. So, for both of you, having traveled so much and seeing how all these different cultures live, do you think that uh, bio, the, their biology, having you know their parents and grandparents eating those diets, uh, you know, uh, affects their ability to metabolize, absorb, and use that nutrition? Whereas if I were to go somewhere like per, to Peru, you know, I would have a hard time, and it, and I wouldn't get those same nutrients, or I wouldn't
2: because I'm Irish, you know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Like, does yeah. you, do you think that plays a role at all? Well, I think that it could through many, many generations, yeah. and maybe it does. I mean, I think that, I think that you know, the Japanese are, are an example with dairy, and, um, and there may be some others. But on the whole, I think that I think the body, our bodies are really resilient, and they adapt really, really fast. And I think that for the majority of people, if they go live with a remote tribe— even though it may not be from their, you know, their background or their heritage in any way, shape, or form, they're going to become very much healthier very quickly. And they're, the benefits that you're going to get from, like when you're in when you're in Costa Rica, and you can taste the difference in that tomato, and you see the differences visually and and t- taste wise with the celery and everything else, those are those those are those minerals in the food. We have micro, micronutrients are the reason food has flavor. When you have that strawberry that's two inches large and it looks like some genetic experiment it and, is it, <laughs> and, it, and it looks beautiful, but when you bite into it, it tastes like water. That's because there's no more micronutrients in it. And the same thing for those tomatoes and the same thing with our food in general. But when you do go to these other countries and they've got these mineral-rich soils, this volcanic soil, and you can really see the difference, you can taste the difference, and those benefits are, I think, delivered you know, almost immediately Uh, To whoever is in that area, I don't think it it matters too much with the genetic heritage.
1: It also has to do with the fact that they're dirty. Not that the people are dirty, but in general, people aren't as, you know, phobic about bacteria and touching things. And, yeah, I mean, you're living in a dung hut and you're making your your rice in a bowl that's been sitting on the dirt floor. (laughs) There is just a lot of dirt and stuff around. And because you have that, your gut bacteria is so good and you're absorbing even more of those micronutrients because you have great gut bacteria. Um, now, we, you know, we, we, we just got back from the paleo low-carb cruise and they're trying to almost make you wash your hands with that stuff, the antibacterial stuff, every single time you walk down any hallway. And I'm just sitting there looking at that going, they're going to make us all so sick by doing this. Because we're all so not used to any bacteria that, with the minute our body comes into contact it we get sick.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Whereas you live like that and you just not don't me, get. Like you well, and me. not me and you. The mass <laughs> American majority. Ma- mass majority. Um, so it really comes down to you know we don't need to be as worried about that as we are in America also because it's not helping us; it's actually hindering us.
0: Right. Yeah, I agree completely, and, and it is interesting too because the immune system responds or reacts to having too much of the same food it's it's it becomes you know i don't know exactly the science behind it but it starts to respond so it seems like uh, having different foods from uh, different soils and different cultures and just traveling uh, is almost suitable to the body adapting to uh, more nutrients and more just like robustness within the body. Yeah, we um,
1: never got sick while traveling. It was kind of a, we kept expecting mm-hmm. to get sick more often. But one of the things that we did is we made sure that, you know, we ate what they ate and we drank what they drank and, you we know, drank it, we drank the water everywhere pretty much. Mm-hmm. Don't necessarily recommend it for people who aren't used to it. Yeah, don't, don't go, out don't and go to do it. We go until on your you first vacation it. in
2: 10 years and say, well, <laughs> Alton said, uh, drink the water. No.
1: <laughs> you will get it. sick. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, we, got, we kind of got used to being on the road that way. Also, these people, like, most another thing we noticed that these cultures did is they moved around their crops a lot so because they didn't want to overfarm in different areas. So they did have changing things depending on seasons. They even, although they were stuck in one place, most of these were not moving, you know, tribes. But um, their foods even changed from season to season depending on what was available and what their weather was, was giving them.
0: Right. Uh, that's, I believe that's biodynamic farming. Is that the same thing? Or, yep. Okay. yep. Right. Okay. Very cool. So let's talk a bit about uh, the different, and I, I liked in the book how you broke this down, uh, rich food, rich food, poor food, how you broke down uh, the different colors of, of food and, and how that plays a role in micronutrient value. And uh, I think... We don't really pay attention to the color of the foods we're eating. It's just like, oh, you know, I want this or that or whatever. And it's just like the different colors and like eating the rainbow is so important. So why why is that important? And what do, what do the different colors represent visually speaking?
2: And well, Mira, Mira's gonna cover the colors, but I just want to hop in and say one thing real quick first. It's just kind of a yeah, as an aside, and this is that food manufacturers know and are really, they're they're taking advantage of the fact that we as human beings are kind of hardwired to really be attracted to these colors. We may not know why a food is yellow or green or purple or blue or red or orange or whatever just off the top of our heads, but our biochemically, you know, our inside of our body, our, our physiological self is hardwired to know that those colors mean micronutrients. They mean micronutrients that we need in order to survive. So food manufacturers are using artificial colors in everything. That's why when you go, you look at these cereals and you look at these candies and you look at all these sugar-laden foods, they look like the produce aisle. And they're mimicking that visualization for us so that desire. we go after it. Yeah, it's, it's, it becomes addictive for us. Of course, when we eat these foods, our body isn't getting any of those micronutrients, so we're getting all kind of screwed up. But let's go over some of the ones that are actually in specific micronutrients in specific colored foods.
1: Yeah, I mean, red is basically two antioxidants. It's lycopene and anthocyanin. And uh, the lycopene is great for people who are athletic. It helps to uh, give, give you more breath when you're working out. And the lycopene is really fantastic for anti-cancer, cardiovascular, macular degeneration of your eyes. And those are things like your tomatoes, your beets, uh, the cayenne peppers, your um, strawberries. And, oh, quick step back. The reason, so when you're looking at your plate, say you're making a salad, your objective is to make it as colorful as possible. Do not make a plate of green, do not make a plate of red, do not make a plate of yellow. You're thinking to have red, yellow, green, orange, uh, all of the colors of the rainbow on every single plate because that's going to give you the, the broadest spectrum of micronutrients. Um, orange. Orange is beta carotene. I mean, you even know, like, you know, the, a carrot or your pumpkins or your squash or your sweet potatoes. And beta-carotene is is very, very good for your eyes, not as good as vitamin A, and don't let them tell you that if you eat beta-carotene, it's the same as vitamin A. It is not. The conversion rate from beta-carotene to vitamin A... It's
2: about 21 to 1. 21, it takes 21 grams or milligrams I IUs of beta-carotene to equal one of real uh-huh. vitamin A.
1: And that's cancer-fighting, antiviral... And that's um, those foods that are the orange color. So that's a lot of fall things tend to have that color. Um, yellow is really good. It's got uh, it's brain boosting. Uh, your yellow pepper, your yellow squash, your grapefruit, your yellow sweet corn, your pineapple. Um, and when people think think about vitamin C, sometimes they don't necessarily think of the yellow foods. I mean, I think mean, they think of the orange, but they and the grapefruit. But they don't necessarily think of a yellow pepper. But yellow peppers actually have a lot more vitamin C than an orange does. So it's, um, it's a really great source, especially for people who don't live in Florida and aren't getting really fresh oranges. Uh, by the way, oranges don't come off the trees orange. Most of that is food coloring. And it's not really what you're, it's not, most of the oranges you're seeing aren't really that, that color
0: when they're coming, when they're being picked. Really? So what, what color are they off the tree?
2: Yeah, when we live here right here in, in <laughs> Florida, obviously, so we see these huge trucks going down the highway piled high with bright green oranges. Wow. They're all picked prematurely, and then they usually use some kind of a gas, or they're, they're going to be, you know, to, to ripen them, or they're colorized in some way, but those, those trucks are filled with green. green oranges. <laughs> if, if they're picked ripe, are they orange then or No. Yeah, yeah.
1: So they their right to pick orange, yeah, but it right. is yeah. actually a common practice we have it actually in Poor Food. There's one of the colors of the um, artificial dyes that is only allowed if you are eating and um, if you're putting it into the orange peel, which is another reason you don't necessarily want to zest your oranges. Right. This um, artificial color is actually only legal to be used, not in food, just citrus in orange. It's called citrus red too. And it's actually illegal to use anywhere else, but it's allowed to be used in this c- color of the skin of the orange.
2: Hmm. Right, because it causes bladder tumors in animal studies, and it's banned for human consumption except to color the skin of oranges. So, so when
1: you're zesting well, your orange.
2: Or juicing you know, it. I mean, that's. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Make it's, sure that it's going, not going in there. So just a heads up on that little warning. Um, green is really cool. Green is actually from chlorophyll. We probably all remember that from science class. And that's really good for the antibacterial, and it stimulates the growth and the maintenance of lean muscle tissue. And that's, you know, your avocados. And then one of my favorite things is uh, Brussels sprouts. I'm, like, addicted to Brussels sprouts. Um, I think they're fantastic. They taste so good. And, you know, all of your green leafy stuff. Um, tip on green leafy stuff, make sure to cook it. You don't want to be doing too much of the kale drinks. You don't want to be doing too much of the spinach drinks unless you cook the spinach and then put it in
2: because of the oxalic acid that's included in those raw greens. Oxalic acid is one of those chelating uh, everyday micronutrient depleters that kind of attach to or claw onto or chelate to the minerals in your body, expe- specifically calcium, magnesium, and some others, and they don't allow for the absorption. So you know, a lot, I know a lot of people out there who are putting tons of spinach in their morning drinks thinking, I'm getting my calcium in. You know? No, you are not. No, you are not. <laughs> Okay, 250 milligrams of calcium from spinach. By the time chelation takes place from the oxalic acid, you are left with 25 milligrams. Wow. So don't think that you're going to be getting calcium to protect your bones from these green leafy drinks. So you definitely want to cook those things. And, yep. that's, and that's mainly spinach and kale? Yeah, spinach, totally. and, spinach and kale. Gotcha. Kale um, to a lesser extent. than
1: spinach. Yeah, spinach is really the bad one.
2: Okay.
1: Uh, purple and blue, uh, that's some flavonoids. That's your prunes, your blueberries, um, reduced cancer, reduced stroke risk, great for your memory. Great for an afternoon boost is um, blueberries. blueberries. It gives you a quick energy, but it also keeps your blood sugar regulated. So that's a really great snack middle of afternoon. And final color is white. and People don't think of white fruits and vegetables. That's your onion, your garlic, your coconut. Apples. Apples. Mushrooms, bananas, those are all considered white, and a lot of times they're really high in um
2: Of course and it's the flesh that we're talking about. people apples are not white, they're red, but they are white because we're talking about the flesh right,
0: so. right. really
1: important to get a broad spectrum of all those things on every plate
0: mm-hmm. well that's a great tip the uh, making your salad plate as colorful as possible because it's that's it's you're making art you're making you know you're you're uh, adding all these micronutrients into your to your meal, and that's just a great kind of visual to have when making the salad.
1: And also, co- um, color actually makes you feel like you're more satisfied. Really? You, you, yeah. You will, you will think that you are fuller, and you will think that you had a better-tasting meal the more color on the plate.
2: Yeah. <laughs> This goes back again to to studies, actual research studies that were done by companies that add in these artificial (laughs) colors. So they gave two different things, the exact same food, one with artificial color and one without. There's no difference visually or taste, except for visually, taste-wise and cooked by the exact same people in the exact same pot. The only difference was the color, which has no flavor, and people experienced much greater satisfaction. They thought the food was better. They were satisfied longer. It just... Every way, shape, and form, they loved it same more if so it was more colorful. Mm-hmm.
0: That, that does make a lot of sense because it's, I mean, even if it's the same amount of food, you feel like you're eating more because you're seeing more of a range of color. Exactly. Yeah, so it's kind of like tricking your mind into into thinking that. Um, I want to talk a bit about, uh, and I, I love that you, you both have traveled so much uh, that's, <laughs> and, and seen all these different cultures, and that's actually something I want to do uh, in the future with the health work that I'm doing to uh, visit different cultures and, and kind of share their uh, the way they live with the world. You know, Ayurveda and India and Chinese medicine and Russian medicine and Amazonian tribe medicine and the list goes on and on. But uh, one thing that I found interesting is that it seems like a lot of cultures uh, in, in the tropics or just semi-tropic regions uh, really use coconut and coconut water a lot. Like when I lived in Costa Rica... Uh, I had coconut water pretty much every day, and I, I feel like it really helped me in a lot of different ways. Uh, is that something that you've noticed in a lot of cultures around the world, is the use of coconut water and coconut?
1: Um, coconut water, coconut oil, coconut meat, coconut everything, because that's what they have. And not only that, you felt so great because it's filled with your, um, what are they called, your electrolytes. hmm so they're filled with all these minerals. The calcium, and as you're out in these tropical places, you start sweating. And that's what you're sweating out. You're sweating. You see that Gatorade commercial, that green liquid coming out is really electrolytes. Um, so it's your calcium, magnesium, your potassium. And you feel so much better when you put them in. So this native, this native culture knew that. And so they would drink this stuff down and it would automatically replenish those exact same things that they're sweating out doing their average day of work. hmm and the oil yeah i mean it's, it's one of the saddest things we learned is that these places would then start you know once the americans or europeans came in and started trade routes with these with this down the amazon all sorts of different places they would automatically start selling their coconut start selling their coconut oil and whatever and we'd see them with margarine
2: yeah we were actually oh, wow. we were actually in the amazon we had taken you know, I think we had t- we took a plane, then we took a train, then we took a boat, then we canoe. We were like four or five <laughs> out in, there was right? No motor. I mean, <laughs> way in, and we were sitting at a tribes area, and they were just gonna, they were about to cook us this big kind of a, this manioc, which is what they kind of use as a as a staple food, at, you know, in the middle of the Amazon. And this woman was about to cook it for us, and up paddled, you know, like what you see on TV, some paddle some guy with, with like a tarp over his his canoe, and he pulls back the tarp and pulls out a, a jug of margarine. Oh, and, no.
1: Hey, she's so happy to see <laughs> and, margarine. And she thinks like, we're going to be happy. Oh.
2: I'm like, why are you using margarine? Oh, it's much healthier for our hearts. Oh, no. Wow. The saturated fat is bad for us. This is, so we, we, oh, get, we, tra- we, we get rid of our coconut oil. We get, we get we rid trade. of all that. We trade them, and we, we bring in margarine because it's oh, so wow. much healthier for us. And we're, and we're like, no. So we try to teach them. Um, you know, to, to, yeah, obviously you know, it's funny because you wouldn't think you'd go in the middle of the Amazon and see that they are actually trading away the foods that we're all right. trying to get our hands back on because we are in there teaching them that they're wrong and we're right and we're the diseased ones and they're going to be the diseased ones yeah. if they listen to us, unfortunately. Yeah,
0: and that's, that's a great point. It's funny you mention that too. I have a friend who uh, did some traveling throughout the Amazon and worked with shamans and, and he said something very, very similar how they were using, you know, uh, genetically modified oils and they they weren't even using what was local to them and I'm like baffled by that because it just doesn't make any logical sense and that's something I noticed while living in Costa Rica too it seems like in Central and South America and uh, both of my sisters lived in Central or South America as well at one point, it seems like in those countries they're trying to uh, catch up to America or be more like America in in, in a lot of senses so uh, food wise, living wise acquiring more things, whatever it may be. So it's trying to live the uh, quantitative life as opposed to the qualitative life, if you will. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and that's just incredible. And hopefully uh, more awareness can be brought to those regions. And, uh,
1: yeah, that's what we do when we're there. We actually sat down with them and we said, okay, let, let us see what the government is giving you guys for subsidies. Okay, we looked at their list and we're like, don't take this, don't take this, don't take this. <laughs> and we basically circled a few things that we thought were okay coming from their government. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was interesting.
0: Very interesting. So let, let's talk a bit about. I want to talk a bit about uh, salt because you, t- you mentioned you you briefly touched on that in the book, and uh, it's something that I've heard completely different mixed reviews on from you know quote unquote health experts all across the board. Uh, it's something obviously our body needs to some degree, but uh, some people say you know if it's high quality salt, you know just. Pour it on. It doesn't matter if it's Himalayan salt. Some people say, you know, it's still not good because, you know, whatever. What, what do you think of this in, in terms of in the, in the work that you've done?
2: Well, listen, I, I want to just kind of preface it saying we're not experts in salt. But what I will <laughs> say is that we are not the least bit afraid of unrefined salt unrefined salt having I think about 94 different minerals in it it's jam-packed with you know obviously sodium and chloride but also calcium magnesium potassium iodine silicone sulfur potassium vanadium and many more so um if you're using uh, if you're using refined salt which 99.9 percent of the people probably listening to this that's the salt that they cook with in the restaurants that's the salt that you see at, yes you know that's like the salt you get in your typical salt shaker that's white First of all, salt's not white. If you've ever been to a salt
1: mine, mine
2: or you know, salt fields where they do it, you know, it's, it's kind of a gray, it's dirty, there's brown, there's pink. Uh, there's all kinds of different colors, but it's always wet and it's always colorized in some way. So if you're, if you're wondering, am I eating refined salt and it's pure white, you are. Um, even sea salt, oftentimes, um, they're sold as sea salt, but they're refined. So you got to be careful. You want to make sure that you do. One of our favorite brands is Real. Red, Redmond's Real Salt.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's
2: a lot of great uh, unrefined salts out there.
0: Yeah, they have, they have great toothpaste, too, don't they? Yeah, yeah. they have great toothpaste. Yeah. A good company. I love that stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah EarthPaste yeah. is awesome.
1: The other thing about salt is a lot of salts have sugar in it these days. Yeah. Which I just think really? is... Really?
0: Oh, yeah. Wow. I
1: mean, that's what people do think of. Why they're sticking sugar in your salt. I mean, they stick it everywhere else, but... That's another reason you just want to get a good salt because I think it's, which one was yeah, it? Yeah, if,
2: if you look on Morton's salt, which is probably, I got to the think of the, girl, more,
1: right? the, right,
2: the yeah. brand, you're going to see that it contains dextrose, which is just, G, you know, it's a, it's a form of sugar's GMO corn.
0: Wow. So it's, it's, it's diabetes and heart disease in a, in a little while. There
2: bottle. you go. <laughs>
0: I did not know that sugar was being added
2: to salt. Now, that's, that's a Shake new one. Shake it on. <laughs> Two most addictive substances on the planet, so it makes sense, doesn't it? Right. Sugar and, and salt. Right. And if you yeah.
1: crave either of those, an interesting factoid is that back to micronutrients, sugar and salt cravings can both be traced to calcium and magnesium deficiencies. hmm so if you start craving one of those things and you're, you know, eating more and more of it, it's, it's likely one of those, and it's very easy to get sugar cravings and salt cravings in control once you become sufficient in those same micronutrients.
0: Mm-hmm. And I, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up uh, on the on craving note. It, do you find that people crave cr- cravings are? I mean, there's there's good cravings and there's bad cravings. I've, I've found this in my own life, at least. Uh, so, I've, for example, I got a, a, a test done last year. Uh, and it's like this new test that basically you put your hand on it and it scans your blood and it shows you your uh, uh, your mineral levels and your heavy metal uh, levels. And I found I was deficient in a few minerals. And I looked up the foods that I was kind of craving, like hummus and peanut butter, which I love hummus and peanut butter. And it was, I was <laughs> the the main minerals in uh, hummus and peanut butter uh, were was what I was deficient in. Right. So I was like, wow, that's interesting. Uh, so do you find that cravings uh, – how, how do you kind of determine which cravings are beneficial
2: and, and, and getting that sufficiency and which aren't? Yeah, well, I, it goes back to what I was saying before. is Your body is hardwired to get you those micronutrients. It needs them. It absolutely needs them. It can survive for a while with kind of a triage kind of concept where they're going to delegate with the minerals and the vitamins that you do have to the, to the most necessary functions of your body. But over time, if, it doesn't, if you don't get them – you're going to, you're going to create disease and the body does not want that state. It doesn't want to be in a disease state. So those cravings, you need to listen to those cravings. Those cravings are absolutely yeah. essential for you to listen to and the, and like I said, the problem is these big food manufacturers are kind of screwing everything up. They're, you know, you're craving peanut butter and so you know, you're supposed to be able to go out and get peanut butter, and that's supposed to be peanut butter with all those minerals in it. But today's the peanut butter isn't like that; it's full full of sugar, and then there's all kinds of other junk in it. That sugar is blocking those mineral absorptions that would never have happened. So the body's like, well, I'm eating, I'm eating what I'm supposed to be eating, but I'm not absorbing anything because it's not in it. There's all kinds of other stuff added to it, or maybe the colors that your body is is pushing you towards; those colors are artificial. So
0: cravings it's, it's are, a big
2: mess.
1: Yeah, cravings are good in that. If you listen to them,
2: mm-hmm. you
1: may get healthier. Craving, are a sign that something isn't right. right. So they are important, but you should be able to eliminate them once you get everything in insufficiency levels. We just want to say that we think that obesity, obesity is just your body craving micronutrients. Absolutely. The reason you're eating is because we're hardwired to eat until we get those micronutrients. And people who are overweight or obese, are just more in sync with those cravings, and their body is screaming out, I need it, I need it, where am I going to get it? I'm going to eat it, I'm going to put the food in my mouth, and then I'm going to be better. I'm going to put the food in my mouth, I'm going to be better, but they're putting the wrong foods in their mouth, and they're not getting better. Yeah, right. So yeah. they're more in tune with that, and the minute you get, I mean, we have people, women who write us, and they're like, a weekend your program, I don't need ice cream anymore. I don't need all my sugar things anymore. I had no idea that it was simple, a simple calcium-magnesium ratio.
2: Yeah, I mean, if women who you know, there's it's no, it's no 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 wonder why women need or crave chocolate at certain times of the month because they become very deficient in their magnesium. That's, that chocolate is one of the biggest. It, it has the most magnesium in of almost any food. So you want to, I mean, if you want to test this out yourself and you're a person who's craving chocolate at, at certain times of the month, then become sufficient in your magnesium. 400 milligrams is what you need every single day. You know, give yourself a few weeks to become sufficient in it and then see if those chocolate cravings, it's not that you're not going to want chocolate, but the cravings aren't there anymore. Right. That's just, habit. That just right. habit after that. Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense because
0: uh, craving those... Uh, it's, once again, it kind of goes back to the quantity and quality. It's, it's, if you're uh, deficient in those micronutrients, you will. if you aren't familiar with the concepts of health and nutrition, uh, you just eat a, a large quantity of food in order to get those micronutrients, but it, it doesn't really work until you uh, transition into a, a quality-based diet. So uh, that's, that's a great uh, way to end the interview. Uh, I want to ask one more question, uh, and it's kind of off the cuff, and it's not really specifically about nutrition or micronutrients Um, but I like to ask every guest on the show this to kind of see the bigger picture of health because I feel like health is it's much more than uh, nutrition and it's much more than exercising it's it's a big thing Uh, it's it's so much so uh, what what are three tips that you would give our listener to live a healthier and more balanced life and it can be anything related to the mind body or spirit
1: Uh, do what you love Um, Stop wasting your time with a life that you're unhappy with and find something that you really love. If you love teaching nutrition, become a nutritionist. If you love dance, go out there and spend your free time taking a dance class because you're going to experience all this amazing stuff is going to happen with your physical body, with your mental body when you're doing something that you enjoy doing. Yeah, and you'll get rid of that stress, and you'll you'll stop being sick. A lot of illness can also come from that emotional place, and the things that you're biologically doing when you're to yourself when you're not happy.
2: Yeah, I, I, one for me would be to travel. I think that I think it's the best education in the world. I learned more traveling, um, not just you know, not just book learning, but just it made me a person that I, I that I really enjoy being. I, I think traveling is just the best. Way you can spend your time. I think you, not only will you get a lot out of the traveling, but the people that you meet. I think also get a lot out of it. And uh, you know, people they spend their lives. And one of the people ask us all the time. You know, why is it that you guys? How did you just pick up and go away for seven years in the middle of your life? You know, hmm. and 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 wasn't that scary? And yeah, it was scary. And 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 theoretically, it could have been <laughs> the most productive time of our <laughs> lives. Right? We just kind of just walked away, but. It was great to do it when we could, and I, hi- I, would, I would do it again, and I would highly recommend that anybody who has the opportunity, just go do it. You can always come back and work. It's, the work's not going anywhere, but you may not always have the ability to travel.
1: And, and I guess for the third one, I mean, we have one rule that we live by that I guess we could share, and that's the word yes. Um, life is going to keep opening up doors to you, and life doesn't like the word No. So if someone says, do you want to go do this? Do you want to go try this? You know, what do you, you know, the answer is yes. Mm -hmm. Um, Yes is going to keep those doors opening up in your life and you're going to get where you need to go in our opinion if that's the way that you look at the world. It's a positive yes as opposed to no.
0: Awesome. So valuable. And and that's one of the best movies out there, Yes Man, Jim Carrey. That's an awesome movie. Yeah.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, One of my
0: favorite Hollywood actors, Jim Carrey, Woody Harrelson, top two. Um, awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. Where can our listeners uh, find your work online? What's your website?
1: Uh, Carlton Nutrition, C-A-L-T-O-N nutrition.com. And we'd love, we talked a lot about micronutrients today. We'd love it if people would go right to CarltonNutrition.com, and I think you're going to give them a link where they can go and take our micronutrient sufficiency quiz. Basically, they can go, and let, it's a quiz that we give our personal private clients. It goes through their dietary, their lifestyle habits, and their supplementation habits. And we'll tell them, give them sort of a snapshot about where they stand on the micronutrient sufficiency deficiency scale and how, you know, what changes they could make to start feeling better and becoming sufficient.
0: Awesome. Super valuable. I highly recommend that. It's You have to know where you're at in order to know where you're going. So I will link that up definitely in the show notes and on healthywildfree.com. Thank you both so much for your time. Have an awesome rest of the day. Thanks, Thanks. David. You too. Take care. Bye.